You're tuning in to Missouri NEA Connects, a podcast to focus on all things Missouri education, from policy to practice, so that each of us can unite, inspire, and lead from where we are. We're happy you're here. And welcome back to MNEA Connects. I am Andy Slaughter. I am the Senior NEA Director for Missouri NEA. And with me, I have our Vice President, Ms. Rebecca McIntosh. Hi, everybody. I am Rebecca McIntosh. It is my privilege to serve as the Vice President of Missouri NEA, but it is also my current privilege to serve as your interim NEA Director um, at the NEA Board. So that is what we are going to talk about today, kind of. Uh, we just had our February Super Week, which is our uh, get-together in Washington, D.C., where we lobby on a lot of topics, and then we conduct the business of the association at the national level. And this would be the 3.1 million or whatever we have currently members uh, of the NEA. So this governs the entire uh, association outside of the RA and in, in the interim between the RA, because obviously our RA is our highest body but the board does the work uh, during the year. So Super Week, you've been doing Super Weeks longer than I have. And give me one of the things that's like the most important thing that you think of when you think of Super Week. I think the most important thing that I think of when I think of Super Week is the chance for like-minded people, people who do the work of NEA coming together. Uh, We only have a chance to do it three times a year but it's 200 people representing their state affiliates coming together to talk about items and business of substance to NEA. So it's a real chance to hear both from our national leadership and from state affiliate leadership across the country what's happening in in their education world. Yeah, and I think that that keeping those relationships and understanding uh, what we do at the national level and what we do at the state level. So every state does it a little bit different and bouncing ideas off of each other is a huge part of what we do considering how many people we represent and how many state affiliates there are. We also have the opportunity to build relationships with our congressional delegation, our uh, eight representatives and our two senators and their staffs. So first day we go in there, usually our first full day is lobbying on Capitol Hill. Three basic topics. We always throw in GPO web, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but the big topics this time were the uh, tax credits for children, um, our work to do a bill of rights for our ESP members. And the final topic was the Secure Rural Schools Reauthorization Act. So on that those topics, those are some fairly easy topics because a lot of our uh, representatives and senators were behind us on these um, and they were bipartisan. All of them have bipartisan sponsors. Uh, Part of our, um, the ESP uh, Bill of Rights, part of that was actually sponsored by Elise Stefanik, who is the GOP majority uh, leader. So that tells you kind of where we're at. We try to bring a lot of issues that are uh, bipartisan and that both parties can get behind when we go to the Hill and try to lobby. Um, in the case of the tax credit vouchers, it had been a long time since uh, there had been a increase for low-income families who are working to take some more out on those tax credits for their children. This increased by quite a bit considering how much inflation's gone up 
and how much wages have gone up over the last uh, you know, 10, 20 years. Uh, this was well needed and long overdue. And most of Missouri's delegation voted for it. There were three that did not. Uh, but we did thank those that voted for it. And uh, it currently is in the Senate. One of the sponsors is uh, Josh Hawley, our senior senator. So we are hoping that gets to the Senate and we can get some of the, that relief to the uh, families uh, that need it the most. Um, on the ESP Bill of Rights, a lot of this for us is that sometimes in Congress, a lot of things get overlooked. They, they deal with a lot of hot button issues. And some of these other issues that we try to bring in aren't might be as sexy, maybe not hit the news as much. But what we try to bring some light to those, and especially uh, the, the plight of some of our lower uh, paid ESPs, we know that the wages are not where they need to be. Um, and we try to bring that to the light and show some of our congressmen, hey, this is where we would like this to go. We would like more training for these folks, might like more uh, protections for their employment for these folks. So bringing that um, into their space and allowing them to see and telling our stories. I know we have Dennis Tab on the board with us, who's a bus driver. We have some of those stories that we can bring to them and say, hey, we need more protections for our people. And then finally, on the Secure Rural Schools Act, um, this is a an act that allows is a funding mechanism for our uh, any kind of county, any kind of school district that has a federal land uh, management piece to their county. So any kind of national park, military base. So even places like North St. Louis County, where you have the National Geospatial uh, Intelligence Agency, that's federal land, and that can't be taxed by local. Uh, entities, and neither can anything that sits in the national forest or national park. So all of Southeast Missouri and anything that has like Whiteman Air Force Base or Fort Leonard Wood, none of the businesses attached to those are getting taxed. So the federal government has this secure rural schools program that allows you to get funding in lieu of those taxes. And this has gone on for decades. But unfortunately, in the leadership change in Congress right now, they have kind of let that slide to the cracks. Um, it's, that's the only problem when you lose leadership at the highest level. Some of that institutional knowledge is gone. And things that they would know to do, acts that they would know they had to re-up, uh, the new people don't know that. And so you have to bring that to their attention or you lose it. So that being said, um, Rebecca, you've done this a couple more years than I have. What do you make of the current political landscape of D.C.? I think it's an, in a, a weird kind of stagnation place right now. There's so much um, opposition internally in the Republican Party. They're fighting amongst themselves. Um, any idea that has any, any, any an, an idea that everybody can agree upon, something like the child tax credit, um, didn't have everybody signed on. I mean, everybody, that seems like something you could get behind no matter what political party you were involved with. Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of a slam dunk. Children, yeah, lifting children out of poverty uh, seems like a no-brainer to me. This links it to inflation. Um, it's a successful program. We know it works. Everybody wins with this one. Um, but because of the dysfunction in, in the House and um, the high thresholds for all the votes in the Senate, it's, it's nearly impossible to get even the most obvious of good ideas across the finish line. And I think it's going to be that way um, as we ramp up to election time. 
the I will say that and and our team has a long history of 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 this and and Andy you do it very well as our our director going into these offices that we know won't agree with us on issues but we've worked to establish relationships with those offices um, so we can always go in there and talk about improving public schools the state of public education is something we can always talk about and the, the staff is always respectful and and receptive to our ideas and there's always good substantive conversation and then you and and our former directors and our, our future directors will continue to maintain those relationships and i think that is probably the most valuable thing um that happens out of our lobby days is it's not the conversation that happens in that room it's the conversation and the materials that you supply them after we get back um and the, the personal relationship you have with those offices that um that forces them to have a face of what some consider the big bad NEA. And I think that that is, that is of the greatest value on those lobby days. I, and I would agree. I, it, it is very frustrating when you see something like a tax credit, you know, for, you know, underprivileged children have 70 or 80 votes against it. Now it did pass with flying colors and it did go to the Senate, but it is very frustrating when, in previous Congress, 10 years ago, you would see that 425 to nothing. You know, that would not have 70 or 80 votes against it. They'd be hanging on the rim, you know, dunking, you know, pointing out, pointing out how great they were for helping and, out kids. And exactly. now you don't see that. And then taking credit for it. I mean, pass it and then take credit for it. And who cares who gets the credit? The point is almost 20% of, of children are slipping back under the poverty line post-COVID. Um, and w we know that we... This is a very small thing, but it's going to make a big difference to a lot of those families. For sure, for sure, especially in our, our higher poverty areas. I know, mm -hmm. you know, I think we're, my district's up to around 50, 55 percent of the, our students are under the poverty line. So, which is, which is the value of having those conversations in the office because the, the students and the families that are living in poverty in Missouri are not who these people think they are. These are our, it is such a mixed group. It's it's it is across all racial and ethnic lines. It's across all geographic lines. It's rural. It's city. It's brown. It's black. It's white. Um, we we have so such a, a wide variety, unfortunately, of our students living in poverty. Um, we can put a face on that for them. Uh, yes, we can. And so beyond that, beyond the the lobby day. The, the next two days of our our super week are just doing the business of NEA. And the board's primary job over those days is to have our uh, fiduciary responsibilities, make sure we are spending our members' money wisely. And a lot of times that is to get grants back in the states, uh, making sure that our budget priorities are where they're supposed to be. And we've had some long conversations. There's been times when the budget has been uh, less of a contentious issue. And there's times when the budget has been very contentious and what our priorities are and where our money should be going. Uh, one of those um, big, big areas for us, I know here in Missouri is the Uniserve grant fund. And that provides our member services through our Uniserve directors. And those are our employees here in the state. Uh, we get a decent amount of money from NEA to help pay for those positions and that's the thing that our members, I think, see the most directly. Would Would you agree with that statement? I absolutely, I absolutely would agree. That is the face of the association when it comes to service to our members. Um, that's who they contact when they need to interact with Missouri NEA. And 
because that's one of the benefits of belonging to a state, local, and national association is the national supports us. So our dues dollars support our union brothers and sisters in other states and help support their Uniserve programs that look different than ours. And their dues dollars help support ours. And it is not a small number, like you say, almost $72,000 for every Uniserve director and some director positions here at headquarters um, are funded and supplemented by NEA. And in, in light of that, we are, they're allowing us another grant, our GPS grant. Would you like to talk about that for a second? Sure. Another a program that our NEA funds, funds for almost all the state affiliates is called the Great Public Schools Grants. Uh, these are giant grants. They're multi-year grants. And we have, Missouri NEA has been one of three states who has not taken advantage of that historically. Um, but we are now. And our director of professional practice has spent a lot of time and a lot of energy with a team of members and written a grant and submitted it just this month. Um, and that's that's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars over several years to work on professional development services and organizing and leadership development across the state. It'll start. Yeah, I'm sorry. It'll, the first year we'll, we'll receive almost $100,000 and then it'll grow from that. Um, and, and that's an amazing amount of work on Samantha's part, as well as some advantages and some exciting new opportunities for members and local leaders. And again, this is all part of growing the association, growing our power uh, to affect the lives of our students. And I think that is the most important thing that we do uh, to make sure that our teachers are taken care of so those teachers can then focus entirely on the kids. Um, now, uh, we, we also have a program called Public School Strong. And... I know this is one you, this is more near and dear to your heart. So would you like to take that one? Well, the, the Public School Strong campaign is, is just rolling out at the national level. And you're going to hear lots and lots more about it. Um, there's trainings once a month on it. And it's going to be a message that we start to hear both nationally and at the state level over the next year or so, especially as we approach the election. But um, the, the National Association is framing Public School Strong as our moonshots. We've got big ideas that we want to make happen over the next few years. Um, there's gonna be a substantial ad campaign and public facing kind of messaging, um, an amazing partnership with some external partners. Um, people will be familiar with uh, the Schott Foundation and AFT and NYU and a bunch of, of um, higher ed associations, um, communities and schools, a lot of external partners that are going to work with NEA because they recognize our public schools as a cornerstone of our communities, a cornerstone of our democracy, a cornerstone for the success of the United States. And so fundamentally, we're going to work together um, to get that message out. And we're going to train people to be leaders in local school districts. Um, the goal is to have 42,003 in every school district in the country. Um, there'll be trainings to mobilize people to help with voting, to help with community service, to help with becoming involved in schools in their community. Um, and it's going to be targeted and very specific, but it's also going to be very grassroots in that the people that are doing that work are going to be the people that live in those communities. So I think we can look forward to some really positive public school messaging. Um, and it's really going to get those stories out because with 3 million members, one in every 100 Americans knows or is a member of NEA, and those are the stories we need to be telling, not the stories of failing public schools or opportunities for uh, the messaging of people who don't agree with the work we're doing. We need to put those 
And I think that the point that we are doing, the reason why we're doing this, obviously we we have great public schools and we want to promote those, but we have obviously adversaries out there that say public schools are failing. They'll take one school in the whole state. We have 495 districts. They'll take one school and say, look, that school's failing. They're all failing. And that's not true, but they're doing that for a reason. They're doing that because they're trying to make money on kids through charter and voucher programs. Uh, the charter school industry last year made $51 billion with the B. All right, billion dollars. They fed a lot of those profits back into politicians' pockets through they're- campaign donations. Uh, I believe uh, the last, just in the Senate races, in Missouri Senate races, they funded almost a million dollars in 2022 trying to get their candidates through. It's all through an organization called American Federation for Children. They are financed by big, big hedge funds uh, and hedge funds managers. They are not in it for kids. They are in it to make money. And if you've ever been to a charter school and if you've watched the news, uh, seen some of the charter schools in St. Louis, where the teachers are walking out because the conditions are so bad. The buildings are falling down. Kids are failing out. They're not showing up. Uh, I believe we had a $2.7 million fraud case where they say, you know, kids are showing up to the school. They were taking the state's money and no kids were actually going there. So we're seeing a lot of that, but the politicians in the pocketbooks or in the pockets of these uh, hedge fund managers, they write the laws and they make sure there's almost no accountability on these charter schools. And in the voucher program, same thing. That is, quite frankly, welfare for rich people. And they are well fun- they are well funded, and they are well organized, and they are growing. Um, we we know over the past ten to twelve years, they've gone from you know ten states um, to now almost forty states, and they're being successful in the legislatures of these states. Um, and and our kids are getting left behind. They do not have to service our mm-hmm. most at-risk students, they get to pick and choose. Um, the the so-called message of choice and services is is not what really happens for kids. And it is our public schools that service all the kids that come to us and all the families and have the services that kids need. Um, and so it's time to take control of that message and lift up the stories of the good work that our members and our public school teachers are doing. Absolutely. And then in that in that vein, we also know that Joe Biden is one of the greatest, you know, pro education, pro union presidents of our lifetime. And we have, you know, regardless of you know other issues, he has made his campaign promises to us in terms of public education. He has prom- he has put a pro public education. Uh, education secretary into uh, office and we also know what what's going to happen in 24 if we lose this we will not get that pro public education person we'll probably get betsy devos right back who is a profiteer on the charter school industry that's all she's ever done uh, unfortunately we had 12 years of pro charter and that included the obama years arnie duncan who was the obama's education secretary actually made Betsy DeVos who she is by funneling her money. And now that she was Trump's, Joe Biden did not pick out of that 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 bag. He picked a public education person, which is what I think we need. 90% of our kids go to public school. So in that light, what's our message going into 2024? Well, you're right in saying that we've never had a president who has been more supportive of America's public schools 
than we have in the Biden-Harris administration. Uh, not only that, we have a union member in the White House, in Dr. Jill Biden, um, an NEA member, a, a working public school educator. Um, and that has ensured our presence at the table. And the, the Biden-Harris administration has consistently partnered with us as an education association and as a labor association. Um, primarily, you can't talk about the administration without recognizing the historic, historic investment that this administration has made in public education pre, post, and during the pandemic. Um, our public schools have never had that sort of investment before, um, and he continues to put that money toward early childhood as well as higher ed. Um, funds that were available, never available before, have been funneled into to states to use. Um, there's been historic work around public student loan forgiveness. Um, for better or worse, systems that are working better than others, some, but they have, they have forgiven billions and billions of dollars in student debt. And we all know how crippling that can be to young educators or just a young person graduating with the burden of student debt. Um, I, I, almost a million educators, I believe, have benefited from that program. Um, on a very gross, on a very basic level, the investment this administration has made in school meals, being sure that breakfast, lunch, and weekend meals are available to our students who most need them, are available. Um, and Missouri has struggled with that, but I hope that has worked itself out um, because we know that hungry students can't learn, and they have made historic investments there. Um, the work that this administration has done around gun violence prevention, unfortunately, this is an issue that hits home in public schools. And there's not a teacher that hasn't thought about this or unfortunately had to deal with it. But the uh, the Safer, Safer Communities Act uh, was a bipartisan act. First time in tens, tens of years that some common sense regulations were put in place for gun violence prevention. Uh, I believe the last one was in 1993, so. In 93, thank you. 10 years, uh, 20 years. Um, and, and just to bring it home, uh, almost $2 billion from this administration, $1.75, almost $2 billion in broadband internet access. That money came straight to Missouri to make internet access available to students during and after the pandemic. Um, the number of students in Missouri that do not have access, reliable access to online work, virtual school, um, just internet resources is shameful in this day and age. And they have invested in that at historical levels. So and I believe uh, the amount that came back from the ESSER funds was about $3 billion for Missouri, correct? That's total. That That is outside of, you're right about that, Andy, yeah. that, that's outside of the broadband uh, yeah. money that came separate from that. So the the amount of money being invested is unbelievable, unbelievable. And we will see the benefits of that um, in a state that needs it when we struggle in so many other areas. Um, so it is absolutely our responsibility to do what we can to reelect Joe Biden in in the fall. Um, the alternative is simply not an option for strong public schools. Absolutely not. And on that note, we have also have our general counsel report, which goes through uh, during the board meetings and kind of keeps us up to date in the court battles that we are in. And we're in several right now regarding vouchers. The biggest one's in South Carolina. They are trying to expand voucher programs in South Carolina. But thanks to uh, 
the post-Civil War Constitution written in part by several uh, African-American that were elected uh, directly following that and served in legislature. And one of the things that those legislators enshrined in South Carolina's Constitution was that public schools would receive the funding from the state legislature and nothing else. The schools were to be public, and it was a public trust uh, and a public right. And so because of that, we have a really good argument in court to throw out their voucher programs because for their constitution, it is unconstitutional to give away money to private entities. And in this case, again, welfare for the wealthy, they are giving it for people who are mostly can already afford it or already have their kids in private school. So giving them state money to supplement uh, you know, millionaires and billionaires sending their kids to elite private preps is, is not something I, I don't think any of us should support. Uh, another one of those issues that were coming up is collective bargaining. Um, Missouri, as we all know, is a collective bargaining state. We have those rights. But when Scott Walker was pres or, uh, not president, he was definitely not the president of oh. Wisconsin. He was the governor of Wisconsin. He passed Act 10, which basically eliminated collective bargaining rights in Wisconsin uh, for uh, all teachers and public service unions. So right now we've got a really good case to throw Act 10 out. Finally, this was like, this is about 10 years in the making. Their Supreme Court has the right makeup and we believe that they will uh, rule in our favor. So another collective bargaining or a collective bargaining state that was is now coming back, we hope. And then we also had a censorship challenge to Iowa's law. And Iowa, the lower court did rule in this case that books could not be censored in libraries. And so a lot of the books that were challenged and thrown out in uh, school libraries didn't uh, meet the expectations of a book that should be thrown out. So we are, we are probably going to win that one as well. We're pretty proud of that. The library association and the, uh, our, our association and the ACLU are throwing a lot of these out uh, that are frivolous and quite frankly, against any kind of educational standard and academic freedom. So uh, in that light, we also have uh, an award that we are going to pass out um, here soon. Uh, the American Library Association is going to get the Friend of Education Award. Uh, I was pretty proud of this because it was uh, one that I helped write. So um, in that Yay, light, librarians. Yay, go librarians. And this is their efforts to fight censorship. Uh, we've seen book challenge after book challenge for about uh, two decades. We've seen over the course of the, of the entire country, maybe 200 to 300 book challenges a year saying this book is inappropriate. This book should be thrown out. It shouldn't be in a public school library or a just a public library, but maybe 200 a year. And those numbers have skyrocketed in the last couple of years to two to three to four to 5,000. Guess which state leads the country in number of book challenges and books removed? Please That's right. Me it's, not us. it's Missouri, according to uh, PEN. It's Missouri. Yuck. That is not what I wanted to hear. I was hoping it was Florida. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It is us, and it is unfortunate. Oh. Are we going to be Missouri? Are we? Are, is there going to be Missouri man soon? Because I, I, I like Florida to lead in those things. It, it is unbelievable. The pushback is occurring. That is encouraging. And I think anytime you can stand up and say thank you to librarians, it's a good time. And so I am really glad NEA is recognizing the ALA with this. And 
in that vein, um, to leave you off some good notes, those will be given out this summer at the NEARA. So if you're going, it'd be, you'll get to see that. Uh, but that is all we have. That's kind of what we did this this week and kind of our wrap up. So um, it was amazing. Week. We had some amazing speakers. Um, we heard from the president of um, Color of Change, and then we heard from the uh, leader of the uh, what was it? Oh, the Congressional Black Caucus. And then we came back from lunch one day, and Hakeem Jeffries was there to address us, and that was amazing. Uh, I we, might have it, been a little politically nerded out at that, that point. Was, yeah, we might have nerded out on that one. Um, we we had a bunch of work on, like Andy said, the budget, and we heard reports from all areas of NEA, um, and we had good, strong debates on the floor. And um, everybody knows where Missouri stands on a lot of things because we speak up, and we may or may not have... Uh, you know, represent. We did what we could to represent for the Super Bowl, and um, it was a, it was a busy week. It is a it is a work filled four days. And we may have pulled a Travis Kelsey and found a podium that said U.S. Senate and stood behind it and took pictures. If you leave this, if you leave the podium unattended, you know, nature of horrors a vacuum. We will we will attend it. So uh, that's all. Yeah, members of Missouri NEA can rest well assured that you are doing an excellent job representing them at the national level, and I'm doing my best to stay out of your way. So <laughs> anytime, that well, anytime yeah. anybody wants more information about what's happening nationally or what we may have worked on, or even when the newsletter comes out and we, we share that with your local leaders, please don't ever hesitate to reach out to either Andy or myself or your governance district uh, board of directors members, and we'll be happy to get that to you. And that's all the time we have for today. Um, we hope you come back and listen to some more NMEA Connects in the future. Uh, at, but for now, have a great day, evening, or whenever you are listening to this podcast.